Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in my opening, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time of worship. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to this message and help us to understand your word. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, we are going to finish the book of Ephesians at this time, and I am excited, uh, not necessarily to be out of the book, but to finish. It feels like, like we're accomplishing something, at least I feel like I am accomplishing something. And, and as you know, uh, because you know yourself well, people are never accomplished, right? We're, we're a work in progress till we die. So uh, if you're in any kind of people work, you know that it's continuous and never-ending, but glorious and beautiful and worthwhile. Amen? Because people are made in God's image and they're going to last forever. So what better to give your life to than people and people work? Amen? All right, I see heads shaking. Excellent. All right, we're going to finish Ephesians tonight, 6, 18 to 20. And we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. I love that Paul ends his letter to the church at Ephesus and beyond the church at Ephesus to the churches of Asia Minor, by extension to us. He ends with prayer. And as you know, because you've been with us, we're coming off of a section on spiritual warfare, the invisible war that is happening, listen, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your job, in your relationships, in your neighborhood, throughout all the world, there is a struggle, a wrestle happening. And it happens on such a regular basis, it just seems like, well, this is just my conflict. This is just my frustration. This is just my stress level. This is just my anxiety. This is my buttons, and, you know, and on and on. And it seems like it's just us. It's just flesh and blood. Meanwhile, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our wrestle or our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this present evil age, this present darkness. And so tonight, Paul moving from the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the very next verse is verse 18, praying at all times. And notice that doesn't start a new sentence there. You know, verse 18 goes right from the sword of the Spirit to praying. In other words, prayer is spiritual warfare, friends. Prayer is spiritual warfare. What are you doing when you're praying? You are calling out to the most powerful being in the universe. And when you talk to him as his son or daughter, he listens. He listens. Galatians Paul says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. God loves his children. Jesus told a story about prayer. And he said, what father among you, being evil, would give a child a snake if that child asked for a fish. What father among you, you being evil, would give your child a stone if the child asked for bread? And if you, if you evil parents, I mean, Jesus did not play games. He knows who we are. He knows what's inside of us, right? We, we would say it like this in our culture. Nobody's perfect. Jesus would say, that's evil. That's evil. That's what I'm talking about right there. 
If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Friends, the Father is not stingy. The Father is, listen, limitless in his resources. You know that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming not upon you from the outside, but coming to indwell you, to fill you up. You know what, after you've had a great dinner and you're like, oh, I'm so full. The Holy Spirit comes to fill you. And the I'm so fullness of the Holy Spirit comes out in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I love it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what happens when you're full of the Holy Spirit. And God is pleased. He wants to bear fruit in you, friends. Don't imagine that he wants to bear fruit in other people and not you. He wants you to be a patient person. He wants you to be a loving person. He wants you to be a kind person. He wants you to be self-controlled. He wants you to have control of you. In the middle of 10 out of 10 anger, 9,000 RPMs out of 10,000, he wants you to have self-control in that moment. And that's available for you. How do I get it? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. James tells us in his letter famously, you have not, why? Because you ask not. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask with ill motives that you might spend it on your lusts. Like selfishness. God's not inclined to answer selfish prayers. Now sometimes he does. It's amazing. But he, he doesn't have to. Okay? All right, let's talk about prayer. Prayer, friends, to me, as the pastor here, as the lead pastoral elder, is mysterious and a struggle. Mysterious and a struggle. When I was a member of the, the, the first church I joined, which is the only other church I joined besides Eternal City, I'm a loyal guy like that, um, when I transferred membership to here, that was the only membership I've ever had. And in my membership, I was a brand new Christian. I was like, what is it, membership? Absolutely, I'm in. What do we got to do? What do I got to read? What do I interview? What, whatever. It was classes that I took. And in my interview, all the pastoral elders were there. And they were like, do you have any questions for us? I was like, yes. Explain to me how prayer works. And one by one, to my like downtroddenness, they did not give me the answers I was hoping for. And, 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 and my temptation was, do these guys know anything about prayer or about theology or about the Bible? And, and what I realized was in my young arrogance, the more I found out about prayer, the less I knew about prayer. The, the more I learned and the more I prayed, the less I understood. Anyone else? Or is it just me? Like, Sometimes you get this sense inside of you, God is hearing me and he's going to answer and, it, and you have this assurance of faith. And then other times you pray and you're like, am I talking to myself right now? It's a struggle to pray. Um, some of you know this, I used to write hip hop music and record hip hop music and perform hip hop music. One of the first songs I wrote was a, a song on prayer. And I found it on YouTube. I, I did not put it on YouTube. Someone put it on YouTube, thankfully, because I forgot my lyrics. I wrote them like 95 or, or not, not, not that long ago. I wasn't even a Christian in 95. 2005, 2006, I wrote this. And this, this little chunk of lyrics here gives you a window into the, the thoughts that I was having at the time when I was like, can you explain to me prayer? Told if I knock long enough, then the door will open. If I'm knocking on the wrong door, will it still open? If a hundred people pray, is that better than one? Elijah prayed a single prayer, and you answered him. Will one believer's prayer be heard over another? Like if so-and-so prayed, surely I'd recover. I know there's power in Jesus' name, but some believers use it like a magical phrase. If faith's only as good as the object it's in, 
then to trust in my faith could only be sin. Like if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and thrown into the sea. And the temptation with a verse like that on prayer is, I just need to get my, my faith up. I need to push-ups, faith push-ups, faith protein shakes. I need to get my faith up because my prayers aren't being answered. That's not at all what that's teaching. But I didn't know that. I thought I was the problem, that I didn't have enough faith to get my prayers answered. And prayer is mysterious, friends. Right? Like Jesus said, knock and the door will be open. What if you're banging for 20 years on the wrong door? I mean, so... If you struggle with prayer, if you wrestle with prayer, I want you to know I'm wrestling with you. I'm wrestling with you. Let's wrestle together, okay? Let's struggle together. (sighs) Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, here's what we need to know about prayer. This is sure ground to stand on. When we pray... According to God's will, he hears us. And we know we have what we asked of him because we asked according to his will. We also know this, that when God desires to accomplish something as the sovereign Lord of the universe, declaring all things before they happen, we know that God is a God of means as well as a God of the ends. What does that mean? That means that though he declares the end from the beginning, he also declares the means by which everything will come about. One of the ways that God decreed that things would come about is by you praying, is by me praying. And we must not think to ourselves, if God's going to do what God's going to do, then why should I pray? I mean, didn't Jesus say, your father knows what you need before you ask him? And if that's the case, why do I even need to ask him? Friends, we need to recognize that God is a God of means, And when James said, you have not because you ask not, guess what? He meant it. It's true. Now, what that also means is you didn't ask and you didn't receive, but that was also a part of God's plan, mysteriously, because he's working all things together for his will, for his purposes, ultimately for his glory. But we do know that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And he will answer. Now, some of you are thinking, well, does that mean I need to figure out what God's will is before I ask? That would be his secret sovereign will. And we're never told to ask according to God's secret sovereign will. Like, we're not expected to figure out, God, what are you up to in the world? What are you up to in my life? And pray according to that. No. Rather, God has revealed to us his will in his word clearly. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. It's there, solid, unchanging, not moving for thousands of years. And so tonight, what we have in Ephesians 6.18 is we know that we should be what? Praying at all times in the capital S, Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit. God's will for you, if this is God's revealed will, the Word, is for you and for I to be continuously and constantly in prayer. Now, one of the things that that you picked up on, I hope, was that I only talked about prayer in one category, which is requests. Listen, friends, when you talk to your loved ones, are you only talking to them when you need something? Isn't that kind of a selfish relationship? Like every time you come to me, you need something. Is that all I'm good for? See, our relationship with God is a relationship. He speaks to us where? In his word, most clearly, most assuredly. And we speak to him how? In prayer, in response. Now, this praying in the spirit at all times can be a bit confusing. And so I want to address the confusion, and for some of you, this will just open up a whole other can of worms that you're going to have to do some research. Okay? What 
praying in the Spirit doesn't mean, is it doesn't mean, as in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14, it doesn't mean you should be praying in a spiritual language that no one knows, not even you. And if you're like, what is that? Well, it's called tongues. And if you want to learn about it, go read 1 Corinthians um, 12, 13, 14. We don't have time to get into it right now. The reason we know for sure that's not what Paul's talking about here is because tongues is nowhere in the context at all. And so praying in the Spirit cannot mean a prayer language that you don't know and that no one else knows unless someone interprets. doesn't mean that because it's nowhere in the context. In other words, tongues doesn't show up in Ephesians, and it's not in 6. So it's not talking about that. Text in context, right? That's how we interpret the Bible. So what does it mean then if we should be praying at all times in the Spirit? Because notice the qualifier. Not just prayer in general, but in the Spirit. What is it if it's not tongues? Well, let's check it out. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says this. This is the closing of the first letter to the Thessalonian church. And Paul, who wrote Ephesians, also wrote Thessalonians. And he says, rejoice always, pray, how? Without ceasing. Giving thanks or give thanks in all circumstances. Guess what the all means there in Greek? All. (laughs) The bad ones. The ugly ones, the ones you want out of those circumstances. What should I do with those circumstances? I should get out the vodka, right? No. You pray. Look, give thanks after praying in all circumstances. So we are to be thankful knowing that God, whatever he brings into our lives, whatever he allows into our lives, is purposeful. Not random, not God dropping the ball, not outside of his will, but inside of his secret sovereign will. How do we know what God's secret sovereign will is? Whatever happens. That's how we know. And the revealed will of God right here for all of you who are Christians is to rejoice always. That's hard. Because life's hard, isn't it? Life's really, really hard and disappointing and crushing and anxiety producing and inducing. But we as Christians know that we have a hope beyond this world. This world is not our home. And eternal joy and bliss and fruitfulness and peace and lastingness is coming. And and, and just as a parenthesis here, I have found about me that I like things to be a certain way. I like them in order. I don't like them uh, all messy and broken and disheveled. And I don't like when there's orange peels over here and, and chewed up peach over there and Cheerios all over here and broken. It's called kids, friends. This is what happens. Okay? I don't like it. But guess what? All of, the, all of the, the marker on the expensive stuff, that happens too. It's coming for you. Okay, if you have little ones. Um, I need to know that this is God's way of helping me, guess what? To lose my grip on stuff. You love stuff? It's going to perish. It's going to rust. Moths are going to destroy it. Proverbial moths. They're called kids with Sharpies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, guess what the problem is? It, it, it's not the kids, and it is the kids in a sense. They need beat. Okay. <laughs> that was a joke. Relax, Eddie. Relax. Don't call CYF on me, all right? They, they need beat. That's what they need. All right. I'm glad I don't see the terrible scowl happening right now. C-Y-F. It's a joke. All right. I love you guys. You know I wouldn't beat my kids if they didn't deserve it, right? <laughs> kidding, kidding. Totally kidding. Look at it. I'm getting thumbs up from the back. That's not good. That is not good. All right. All right. So my point is this, friends. Listen, my joy can be diminished when my stuff gets messed up. What does that mean about my stuff? It means I love it a little too much, huh? If, if I lose my joy when stuff, whatever the stuff is, gets messed up, whoever messes it up, then I have a problem, don't I? And God may be doing something in me. He might be saying, 
we may have an idol problem here, Chris. Why do you lose joy when your stuff gets messed up? Do you love it that much? Is it that important? Is it going to last forever? Is it as valuable as my word and people? Because you're sure willing to get mad at people over your stuff. Kids are little people, right? Micah, right. So, so friends, it's me. God's doing something in me. And, and listen, look at yourself and see what makes me lose my joy. Is it inconvenience? Is it people disrespecting me? Is it them not listening to me? Is it them messing up my stuff? What is it? And friend, that may be a functional savior idol in your life that needs destroyed because it's robbing you of joy. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Pray without ceasing. Okay. How do we rejoice always? I would say we pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That, that means you, you pray or have an attitude of prayer continuously. Continuously. Now, I, I have um, tried to do a budget at my house, and when I'm doing math, guess what I'm not doing? Well, I am praying. I'm like, God, help me. I'm ter- <laughs> terrible at math. I need Matt to come over and help me. There are certain things you do, and you can't pray at the same time. We're limited creatures, aren't we? So it doesn't mean continuous outpouring of prayer. What it means is you have an attitude that God is present, and at any moment, at any time, you can reach out to him, or possibly he may reach out to you. That's what it means to be praying without ceasing. It's conscious of God's presence. We, we sung it earlier. Let us become more aware of your presence. That's praying without ceasing. Is God omnipresent? Meaning, is he everywhere at once? Why don't we live like it? Because we're not aware that he's there. Because he's invisible. But he's there. So, we give thanks in all circumstances. For this is, say it, the will of God. God's laid out his will really clearly for you, friends. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. There it is. What's God's will? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, 17 to 19, Eddie preached this sermon. It was fantastic. He would be Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, in context, this is the Gentiles. Gentiles were far off from God's people, from the promises, from the covenant. And peace to those who were near, Jewish people, in the covenant people of God, given, given the fathers, given the, the prophets, given the scriptures, given Moses and the law. <clears throat> For through him, this is Jesus, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentiles, have access in one what? Spirit to the Father. Remember, pray in the Spirit. So it's only in the Spirit we have access to the Father. What does that mean, access to the Father? What happens when you access the Father, friends? You are praying, right? Didn't Jesus, when asked, teach us to pray, what did he say? Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You remember? So look, through the Spirit, we have access to the Father. That's called prayer, friends. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Romans 8 says the same thing. Paul writing uh, to the church at Rome. He says, likewise, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the, the, the English translators do a good job when they differentiate uh, little s spirit for our spirits or the spirits of other people and the capital S spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. So likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. In what weakness? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Like, okay, that's helpful because that helps me to rest a little bit in the mystery of prayer, doesn't it? We don't know what we ought to pray for. That's the Bible. Okay, amen. I'm with you. And I'm glad that the Holy Spirit helps me in my weakness. But the Spirit himself, this is personal, intercedes, that's praying, 
for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, this means that the Holy Spirit has a communication with God the Father that goes beyond our language. And He prays for us in that way. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So the Father searches the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes, that's praise, for the saints according to what? The will of God. Now this will of God is the secret sovereign will of God. But guess who the Holy Spirit is? The third person of the Trinity, God. He knows the will of the Father. The Father shares His will with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, now glorified, knows the will of the Holy Father. And the Spirit are in, together, accomplishing the will of God. You see what I'm saying here? So this is in reference to you being stuck in a situation. You don't know what God's up to. You don't even know how to pray. You just know something's not right, or I need to get out of here, or do I go or do I stay, or whatever the question is that's not clearly revealed in Scripture. This verse is for you. You can have assurance that though you are weak, you don't know what God's secret will and plan is. The Holy Spirit is praying for you according to that secret plan. That's the confidence you can have. Listen, it is so stressful to live your life imagining that God wants you to make every move in your life according to his secret sovereign will. Nowhere in scripture do we find that. No, you are responsible for what he has revealed, not for what he hasn't revealed. And this is an assurance for us in our weakness, not knowing the secret will of God, that God is praying for us in accordance with that will. It's an inner Trinitarian praying. I love it. So we can have assurance. Galatians 5, 16 to 18, but I say, walk by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So walking is a living. It's a way of living life. We're told to walk with God. What does that mean? That means we live with God. We live in His presence. We walk with Him day by day, day by day, day by day. And if you walk by the Spirit, if you live in God's presence by His power, by His strength and not your own, what will happen? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the sinful part of you, minus the Holy Spirit. If you're walking with God by the Holy Spirit, you will not give in to your sinful inclinations, to the temptations of Satan. For, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. What you want inside, the sinful part of you, wants the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants for you. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. I love the NIV. It says they're at war with one another. The Holy Spirit and your sin is at war. I understand the struggle now. Does it feel like war sometimes? It is. should feel like it. If it doesn't, there's probably a problem means you've laid down the fight. It's time to get back up. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Friends, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to hold on to the patience and the self-control. Which is fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I've wanted to hold on so much and they leave me. What happened? I was not walking by the Spirit. I was walking in my flesh. Yet, I wanted, my desire was to not lose patience, to not lose self-control. This is the war, friends. Look, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What do I want to do? I want to live righteously. I want to walk by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to sin against anyone, especially God. Yet, there's a war. But if you are led by the Spirit, now notice, praying in the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Meaning, guess what? If the Holy Spirit is filling you and leading you and you're walking by a Spirit, you don't need an external do this or don't do this. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into sin. He will always lead you in love. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Okay, So that's what that means. You don't need an external law saying do this or don't you dare do that. If you have the Holy Spirit and you are walking with him, he will not lead you to ever sin. And listen, the day is coming 
when we're going to be so full of the Holy Spirit, new heavens, new earth, that we won't need a do this or don't do that. We will just live love. We're going to live love, friends. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody loving me that I come in contact with and me fully loving everybody I come in contact with. All right, we need to chill. So what does it mean to walk with the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit? What it means is this. It means that when you pray, you are praying as a Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other option. There is no other option. We either pray by the Spirit or we're not praying. That's what that means. And so if we're supposed to walk by the Spirit, we're supposed to live by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit prays for us in our weakness, that means this whole realm of prayer is with, in, and through the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, as we move on, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Okay, so let's stop there for just a second. I'm running out of time severely fast. Um, When we pray at all times with all prayer, that means all kinds of prayers, and supplication. Supplication means you ask, you ask for things. You're, you're, you're requesting of God. That's what that means. It means to ask for something, a request. It means asking God to meet a need. This is what supplication is. And then Paul says, to that end, keep alert. Keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance in prayer. We are to persevere in prayer with God. We're not to give up. We're not to lay it down. Friends, the essence of Christianity, if you want to say, what what is the Christian life? It's you and God walking together and you walking by his word, but you constantly communicating with him in prayer. That's what it is. If you're not praying, friends, you are not communicating with your life source, with your father who loves you. He has communicated to you in his word. Will you pick up his communication or not? And will you speak to him? Will you get to know him through his word? And will you get to know his presence by being in it? Now, now listen, I want to confess. Prayer is one of the hardest things you will do as a Christian, yet it's the simplest thing you will do as a Christian. Anyone ever go to pray and all kind of things go wrong and then you end up not praying? Or all or the moment of prayer you go to pray and all kind of distraction floods your mind? Or you go to pray and all of a sudden your phone gets blown up with text? Or I mean, there's so much opposition to such a simple exercise. You talking to God, that's prayer. Yet, friends, when we talk to God and we ask for strength, power, and presence, we are getting what we need to live the Christian life. So, minus prayer, you have no power. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we get the power of God? We pray. We are in his presence. It's like being charged up. You don't charge up the the cell phone, it goes dead. If you don't pray, friends, you will not be charged up. And so possibly your problems with temptation, with joy, with patience, with peace, any of the fruit of the Spirit, could be a prayer problem. It probably is. It probably is. Talking to myself. Pray at all times, Ephesians 6, 18. In the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, to that end of praying, keep alert with all perseverance, Making supplication, remember supplication means asking for something, a request, asking God to meet a need, with all supplication for all the saints. Okay, so this means that you have a charge from God to be praying for other people than yourself. That's what that means. You should be in the practice of praying for other people, all the saints. (laughs) So, So we could pray in general for everybody in the church. God, would you please bless all the people, all the members of Eternal City Church, would you please be with them? But better is to pray specifically for people for specific needs. Because then you know if God showed up in a way that you asked. And I want to commend to you 
pray with people instead of saying, I'll pray for you. Now, now that's awkward sometimes. But you can pull them aside and say, hey, let's pray real quick. Just 10 minutes. 10 minutes is way too long. Don't do that. They got somewhere to be. Okay. You can literally pray in one minute. You know that, right? Like, prayer does not have to be 10 minutes, a half hour, an hour, two hours. Sometimes the barrier is, I don't have time. You do have 10, 15, 30 seconds. You got that. And how much better for you to pull them aside and say, hey, can I just pray for you real quick? And just don't even wait for an answer. Hands, Father, would you please? <laughs> they don't have a chance to say no. Just do it. Pray for them. And then, amen. I love you. They're looking around at Trader Joe's like, oh, I didn't want them to know I was a Christian. And now, that was a joke too. So the idea is pray for them instead of telling them you'll pray for them. And I guarantee you, you will pray for way more people if you do it that way. Because you've done it, I've done it. Hey, I'll pray for you. And then the next time you see them, they're like, hey, thanks for praying for me. And you're like, and you don't know what to say because you know if you lie, you're going to repent. And if you say, well, I didn't really pray for you, you're going to feel like an idiot. So the best thing to do, right, you just shut your mouth. Like, hey. It's how, how much better, friends, to just be like, can I pray for you right now, real quick about that? And you prayed for them. You, you, you obeyed the will of God. All right, we got to move on. And also for me, verse 19. So you're going to have to look at your Bible here. Here, I'll get to it, and then we can come back. Wow, there's a lot here. Here it is. Okay, verse 19. And also for me... What are we praying for Paul, Ephesian church? That words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul has said, you need to be praying at all times. You need to be praying by the Holy Spirit. What kinds of prayers? You need to be praying prayers of request. And to that end, as you pray by the Spirit, making requests, keep alert. This is the idea of Jesus saying, um, you know, pray with me, keep alert in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples, and they fall asleep, and he comes back. He's like, could you not wait with me? Could you not stay alert? Could you not watch with me? The idea is we're, we're alert. We're awake to the needs of others and to what's spiritually happening in our world. We're not asleep spiritually. It's easy to become spiritually sleepy, Okay. And then he says, also for me, what, Paul, should we pray for you? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, now this text here, we're not praying for Paul anymore. He's dead. He's gone to be with the Lord. But what he's talking about here is that he was commissioned by Jesus himself to be a light to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. He was a missionary church planter to non-Jews. And he was commissioned by God to stand before Roman officials and authorities and proclaim the gospel. You know that, right? So he's chained up as he writes this in house arrest. You can read about it in Acts chapter 28. And he is going to stand before Caesar because he has been wrongly accused and he was going to get torn apart by a Jewish mob. And he says, I appeal to Caesar. And so after Acts chapter 23, it's Paul making his way to Caesar to stand trial. And every time he stands trial, or every time he gives a witness, or every time there's a Roman soldier, he is preaching the gospel to them. I love it. This is what he did in Acts chapter 28. People came to his house arrest place, and he preached the gospel to them. Now we can see this in one place, and I would like to go there really quickly with you. So this is Paul, and he's on trial, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, who is a Roman governor, said with a loud voice. So here's what just happened. Paul explained the gospel and his story really clearly. Okay? He, he gave the story. You can read about it in Acts 26. We, I don't have time, so you're going to have to read 1 to 23. As he was saying these things in his defense, he was declaring the gospel. He was sharing the good news. He was sharing his testimony, his story. Festus, remember, a Roman governor, said with a loud voice. So, so Festus stops him. Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. 
right? A loud voice. But, verse 25, Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, that's respect, but I am speaking true and rational words. What I'm saying to you is not only true, but it's very rational. Reason with me here, Festus. For the king knows, and he's talking about King Agrippa, we'll meet him in just a second. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. So Festus wanted King Agrippa to hear Paul's story uh, as a part of this being on trial and being brought to Caesar. The king knows, he says. And then in verse, uh, I'm sorry. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Paul's saying this is public knowledge, Festus. And King Agrippa knows about this. He knows about Jesus. He knows about me. He knows about my turning from wanting to kill Christians and destroy the way to being a Christian and helping to advance the way, the way of Jesus. 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? So now he's asking for a response from the king after giving him the gospel. I love this. King Agrippa responds. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, you think that you can give me this one reasonable defense here and you want me to to come to faith right now? And I love Paul's response. Verse 29. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So in other words, Paul saw himself on trial in that moment Not only speaking to Festus and King Agrippa, but all the soldiers and all those in the courtroom, and he was giving the gospel. And he says, not only you, but everyone hearing, I want them to become as I am, a Christian, a believer, headed to heaven, escaping hell. I want that for all of you. I just don't want you to be in chains like me. I love it. And that was what Paul did time after time. Every time he got an opportunity, he shared his story and he shared the good news of Jesus. That's what he's asking the Ephesians to pray for him. He's on house arrest. He knows he's going to stand before Caesar. And he's like, pray for me that I might speak boldly the gospel. This is the kind of stuff he did. Let's move on. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing... Tychicus, it's a great, great name for your child. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. All right, so here's what we learn about Tychicus. Tychicus is the deliverer of the letter of Ephesians. He's a very important task. You realize if they found this original autograph from Paul, this would be worth billions of dollars. Now, Tychicus didn't know he was holding billions of dollars. He just thought he was delivering a letter. I'm a servant. I'm a mailman, in a sense. Meanwhile, this is the eternal word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And you just wonder if as Tychicus was delivering this letter, if there wasn't some heat coming off of it. Like if his backpack smoked a little bit. What I'm trying to say here is, friends, Paul was writing Scripture. We are studying it 2,000 years later. It's the Word of God, the will of God. It will not fade out. It will outlast heaven and earth. The sun is going to go out someday. Ephesians won't. That's real. And he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother, Paul loves this brother, And he's a faithful minister in the Lord. He'll tell you everything. So not only is he going to deliver the letter, but he's going to tell you how I'm doing and how things are going. And he's going to inform you about what's going on. Now, if you know your book of Acts, and I hope you do, the last time Paul saw the elders of this church, he was on the beach at at, uh, Miletus, I believe, and they left in tears. Paul was like, I know this is the last time I'm going to see you guys. And they wept. And, And so this letter from him at this time... He's affirming, or I'm sorry, uh, comforting them, probably seeing their tears as he writes, and he's like, Tychicus is going to let you know how it's going with me. Remember, n- no YouTube, no texts, no cell phones. You, it was really hard to communicate. 
and paper was not readily available. Okay, this is a hard time to communicate. So you have to have a letter and you have to have it successfully delivered, often across the ocean. I have sent him, verse 22, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. And, and I love that we, because Paul always has a crew. Paul, we, we like to think of him in our minds as like the lone missionary, soldier, church planner, rock star. Meanwhile, he always had a crew. He, he opens up a lot of his letters like Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas, and, and, he, and then he's going to send greetings, right? Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith. So he is worried about them. Not only does he have a crew around him, but he's worried about their crew. I, I want good for you guys too. Paul, though he was a scholar, he was a people person. And friends, I know the battle between books and people. Okay? And, and I want to tell you that the books are going to burn up and the people are going to last. I'm not saying don't read. I'm not saying don't carve out time. I'm just saying if you're like, I can't stand you, but I love my library, that's not good, friends. This is not good. Not good. Okay. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, that could be translated brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And we are about done here. So, what Paul wants for them, this church, is peace. Friends, we have peace with God only one way, through Jesus Christ. He makes for us a way to be at peace with God. Through his perfect life, through his death, through his resurrection, we can have peace with the Father, no longer at war. And friends, when we have peace with God, guess what begins to happen around us? we can begin to be at peace with others. Friends, if you don't know the peace of God in your heart, you will be continuously conflicting with all those around you. If you know the peace of God in your heart, it is possible to be at peace with others. And what Paul is praying now for them, what he wants for them, what he wants for the church at Ephesus is a peaceful church. You know what Satan wants? A church full of division, a church full of backbiting, a church full of gossip, a church full of people who hate each other. Like, I'll tolerate looking at you for maybe 45 minutes to an hour on Sunday, and then I don't want to see you for another week. Now, I'm exaggerating, but it can go there. And if you've been in church long enough, you know it can go there. It can go there. And Satan loves that. He loves discord. He loves contentiousness. Loves it. And friends, God wants for us peace. Peace with him and then peace with each other. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. So the love of God is what we need to know as well. We need to know the peace of God, but we also need to know the love of God. For some of us, we're like, yeah, God loves me. Big deal. Friends, it is a big deal that God loves you because you're a mess and I'm a mess and God loves the mess. Isn't that beautiful? Like, most of you do not have an ounce of love for yourself. Yet it's amazing that God loves you. Like, you, what I mean by that is this. Just so you can put that in context. You know how evil, wicked you are on the inside. You know how much of a discouragement you are to you. You know how much you can't stand you. Amen? And God still loves you. Like no one knows your broken bustedness more than you do. And yet God says, I love you in your mess. That's the love of God for us in Christ. I love you despite you. Not to spite you, despite you. I love you because I choose to love you. It has nothing to do with you. That's beautiful, friends. I love you because I love you. It means you can't get out of it. If you're a Christian, you have the love of God all over you. And if 
you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, who is the expression of the love of God. And listen, he produces love within you. And remember, if you're like, I don't got much love, what do you do? You ask. You have not because you ask not. If you feel like you love God's creation more than God, you need to pray about that. God, I want to love you more. He will answer that prayer. God, I want to love people more than I love stuff, more than I love my free time. God, please help me. God will answer that prayer. You have not because you ask not. God, I want to love my spouse, but it's impossible. God will help you. God will fill you with the love that you need to love your spouse with. God, I can't love my kids. They're unlovable. He's like, hey, guess what? You're not that lovable yourself. (laughs) And I love you anyway, and I can give you that kind of love. Listen, friends, God loves the unlovable. That's us. And he does it because he chooses to. This faith is a trust. So we trust that God loves us. We trust him, his person. And this love that we trust in comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul wants grace to be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Listen, here's the promise to you. The love that you need to love God with comes not from you, but from God. That's love incorruptible. You see it? Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Your love's corruptible. My love's corruptible. God's love is not corruptible. And we need his love in order to love him and love one another. And though that may not sound like good news, it's very good news. Because if you look deep enough, you will see that your love is lacking and it's corruptible. God will give you the love with which to love him and to love others. Uncorruptible. Uncorruptible and uncorrupted. I love it. This is the promise to us in Ephesians. Okay, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember Jesus in our place. And we're going to celebrate that God loves us in Christ because he chooses to love us in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We love God, why? Finish it. Because he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we're going to celebrate right now the love of God for us in Christ and that he promises to fill us with his love with which we would love him and love one another.